want you to imagine a scenario. The scenario is you're telling your friend, hey, Disneyland is the best. It's the best place ever. It's amazing. There's, there's spinning teacups. It's fantastic. I'm just kidding. Does anyone here love the teacup ride? I hate it. It is the worst ride in all of history. You're telling your friend you've got to come to Disneyland because it's absolutely the best. So your friend says, yes, absolutely, let's go to Disneyland. That sounds fantastic. So you get in the car and you drive for a couple hours and you end up at Disneyland. And you're like, you are going to love this. Beyond those gates is a fantastic world of animated themed excitement. And the food's really expensive, but it's great. So you tell your friend this, and your friend's like, yes, this is awesome. So you walk up to the gate, and they stamp your hand, and you go through that awkward little metal bar thing, and, and, and you go through the gate into Disneyland, and you turn around, and your friend is just sitting in the gate. And you're like, what are you doing, man? That's the gate where they stamp your hand. Like, that's not the fun zone. And your friend's like, no, this is fine. I like it here. I'm just going to sit in the gate. You'd be like, that is absolutely ridiculous. But... The thing is, I think many of us as Christians end up doing the exact same thing. And I'm going to get into what I mean. But honestly, this passage is probably one of the hardest studies that I've had to prep. Um, it, there, a lot of things that Jesus says in these passages are hard to hear and hard to listen to and hard to even understand. Um, but I'm not being a good pastor to you if I don't preach the hard stuff. So I want to challenge you to focus and just listen in because I think God has a lot he wants to say to you through these passages. Um, so let's read them. We're in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And you are going to want to start in verse 13. This is what Jesus says. Again, Sermon on the Mount, he's preaching to a bunch of people. He's telling them, here's how you're blessed. Here's how you're given a new life. Here's how we live inside the kingdom. And now he has some very interesting words to say about something called the narrow way. In verse 13, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Let's, 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 let's pray again. <laughs> Lord, these are challenging words, hard words, and difficult words, Lord, and your the one who holds the key to what these words mean. So I pray that you would help us to understand God, and I pray that through your spirit, um, you would direct me in what I say. In your name, amen. So I don't know about you, but this text brings up a lot of questions for me. And the main question is, how do I know that I'm saved? Because this passage seems to throw out like a lot of conditions, um, like a lot of different things like, oh, 
you've got to, you know, be a tree and you've got to be producing fruit. And if not, you're chopped off and thrown in the fire. And there's even going to be some people who show up and they're going to be like, Lord, I thought we were Christians. I thought we did Christian things. Like, what's going on? And Jesus is just going to say, sorry, I don't even know you. Um, depart from me. It's heavy. It's weighty stuff. And it makes me think of a tightrope balance because um, life is like a tightrope balance. And we're walking this tightrope balance and we're trying to balance and we're trying to keep our foot on the path. But eventually we're all going to fall. And what I mean by that is we're all going to die. And if you're on a tightrope and you're up thousands or hundreds of feet in the air, um, the only thing that's going to guarantee your safety in falling is going to be a safety net. And so the question that this really brings up for me is, you know, do I have that net? Is that net there for me? Or maybe do I just think it is and it's not? And I want you to know it's healthy for the Christian soul to wonder. It's healthy for you to wonder about your salvation and actually wonder, am I measuring up to what Jesus says salvation is? Um, it's, it's when we have no thought or conscience for our sin, that's where you need to be afraid. If you can just sin and just do things that you know are wrong and you feel no conscience, if there's no Holy Spirit conviction in your heart for whatever sin you're involved in, then that's where you need to be in fear. It's like having no concern for an open wound. But I will say this, and I want you to hear this. It is not the will of God that any true believer in Jesus should live in fear of losing their salvation. And here's what I mean by that. I mean, when I was a kid, seriously, um, that's how I remember junior high. was like, I would go to church, and I'd hear a Bible study. I'm like, yes, I'm saved. I believe that stuff. And then I'd go home and sin. And I just remember like lying in bed at night, like just thinking of all the things I'd done, all the, the rudeness and the lying to my parents and, and cheating in school and just all these things I had done throughout the week. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, am I even saved? Am I going to hell? Like, I just, I don't know. I don't know if I can be sure I've got to repent right now because I could get hit by a bus tomorrow and maybe I hadn't repented. And, and and maybe that's you. Maybe you had felt that way. Maybe you feel that way right now. Maybe you're constantly in fear. Am I going to heaven? Am I going to heaven? Am I going to heaven? I want you to know God does not want you to live in that fear. I want to help you understand. So we see these verses. And the scary thing about these verses is there's a part where it's like, hey, you got to be a fruit tree, and you got to bear good fruit. And if you're not bearing good fruit, then you're in danger of being chopped off and thrown into the fire. These verses, when handled the wrong way, can produce in people a false works-based gospel. That's where man is trying to save himself through works. And that's where you're constantly worrying if you're enough. You're like, I've got to do so much to please God. I've got to make sure I go to every outreach that Crossroads does. I mean, you should. It's awesome that you do, um, but that's not what saves you. Um, there's, there's some people who feel like, I've got to read my Bible every day, and I've got to pray every day, and I've got to make sure I'm perfect, and, and if I sin, oh, I need to like ask for forgiveness right that minute because I could die and go to hell if I don't. And, and that's, that's false. It's a, it's a works-based gospel, and that's not the gospel. The truth is there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. It's all because of Jesus and what he did. It has nothing to do with what we did. It has everything to do with what he did. And listen, we don't have to worry if we're not enough because the reality is we're not enough. It's not that we should worry that we're not enough. We should know 
We're not enough. I'm not enough. You're not enough. But you know who is? Jesus Christ, who died for you. And he stands in your place before God. And he was enough. And his sacrifice was enough. And what he did for you was enough. And so you shouldn't have to worry anymore, am I enough? You should know that Jesus is enough. And through him, you are enough in God's eyes. It's amazing. You could scale. This is the thing. If you don't have faith in Jesus, here's the other side of it. If you don't have any faith in Jesus, but you're like, I've got to earn my way to God. This is what most modern religions teach is religion is actually defined. The word means man trying to find his way to get to God. So there's some religions who are like, if you want to like reach the next level of enlightenment, or if you want to get to see God one day, here's the things you got to do. Here's the list of ways you have to become a better person. You can scale the tallest mountain and go sit on it and memorize the entire Bible, but if you don't know God, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and if you don't put your trust in Jesus, then I'm sorry, but you're going to hell, and that's just the fact of it. It's not a matter of God being closed-minded, because remember, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's not a matter of God being closed-minded, like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to just ruin everyone's lives. I see everyone working really hard. I'm going to say all their efforts are worthless, and instead, here's the one way they have to go because I'm really narrow-minded. Listen, if, if you have a disease and there's one cure for it, you want your doctor to be narrow-minded. If, if you come to your doctor with this disease that's killing you and there's only one cure, you don't want the doctor to say, yeah, you should climb a mountain and meditate, and you should take these vitamins. They're really good, and after, like, years... Like, no, you want the doctor to tell you, here's the one cure for this. Here's the one thing that cures this. You want your doctor to be narrow-minded. In the same way, God knows that sin is a disease that's killing us. The only thing that satisfies sin is blood. It's death. That's the only thing that can cover sin. And it's either our blood or someone else's. And in God's case, he said, I don't want them to die, so I'm sending my son, and his blood will cover. Jesus's blood is the cure for your sin and my sin. So we want God to be narrow-minded. We don't want to hear all these different other options. We want to know what is the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, you can never do enough to pay back Jesus for what he's done for you. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's a good thing to know that you can't earn your way back into God's arms. It's a free gift that he offers to you. Now, it's important because we can ask the question, what must I do to be saved? What must I do? People ask Jesus that same thing in John 6, 28. It says, there was a large crowd and the people asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works of God that God requires? They're saying, we hear, like, do works, bear fruit. Like, what must we do to do the works of God? It was plural, works, okay? This is what Jesus says. This is his response. Note Jesus' answer. Jesus says, this is the work of the Father, not works, plural. He says, this is the work of the Father, to believe in the one he has sent. People are coming saying, Jesus, what can we do? Like, how can we earn our way to God? And Jesus says, this is the way. This is the work. Believe. Now, you can sit here and you can ask, this is kind of confusing, because on the one hand, Jesus is saying, bear fruit, and on the other hand, Jesus is saying, People are like, how do we get to God? How do we make sure we're saved? What's the list? What's the checklist we got to make sure we do? And Jesus basically says, okay, come back to all that stuff you want to do later, but you've got to stop with step, or you've got to start and stop with step one. 
Believe in the one he has sent. Put your faith in Jesus. That's where it starts. It doesn't matter how much good work you're doing. Without Christ, without Jesus as the center of it, you're just trying to earn your way to God, and it won't count for anything. But if you put your faith in Jesus, that is what saves. So moving on, we need to understand that salvation comes to those who desperately depend on Christ. Peter is in the boat. The storm is raging. The disciples are fearful, and Jesus is walking on the water. And Peter, in complete dependence in Jesus, steps out, knowing that because Jesus was full of power, he could walk on water. But then he sees the wind, and he sees the waves, and he starts to sink. And yet he reaches out for the hand of Jesus, and Jesus grabs him and pulls him up. Whether Peter was soaring and walking in faith or whether Peter was sinking and falling, the whole time he had complete dependence on Jesus. Just the same for you and for me. Whether you're on cloud nine with your faith and you're just soaring and you're just having this great, amazing spiritual experience, you need to rely on Jesus for the source of your power, the source of your strength, the source of that, that desire you have to bless other people and do good things for God. It all has to be fueled by Jesus. You have to be relying on him. And then when you mess up like we all do and you fall and you take a wrong step and you start sinking, that is again where you desperately reach out for the hand of Jesus. See, it's not about whether you're doing good or bad. The reality is you're all going to go through seasons where you're doing very well and where you're doing not too well. Seasons where you're just blessing people and just doing great, and then seasons where you're sinning and struggling and doubting. But the question is, throughout all those seasons, where is your dependence? Are you relying on Jesus? And Jesus is so willing to extend his help to you. What does it mean to believe? To actually believe. I can say I believe in an airplane. I can look at an airplane and be, that's a Boeing 747. And yes, I believe it's an airplane. Absolutely. Yes. Do, do I believe it can fly people into the sky? Absolutely. It's a plane. That's what planes do. I believe in that plane. But then if someone says, hey, get on the plane. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to. I'm scared. Like, what if it crashes? I don't know. And you have to drag me kicking and screaming into the plane. I can say I believe in the plane, but until I actually put my faith to my feet or my feet to my faith and get on that plane, I don't really have faith in the plane. The Bible says that the demons believe in Jesus, but they're not going to heaven. And so for you as a Christian, I need you to understand the difference some people think that because they said a prayer a long time ago and just kind of in a moment were like, yeah, I believe Jesus is real, yeah, awesome, that, that that's enough. And here's what I need you to understand. Belief in Jesus being enough for you is so simple, but it has to be more than just a memory of something you did a long time ago. It has to be an actual faith, something you believe on a daily basis, something where you are like, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my Savior, I follow him, I listen to him. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to have days where you're not thinking about that stuff. I don't mean that every day you have to like wake up and like go through this checklist in your mind, but you have to have an actual dependence and relationship on Jesus. There's some people who have prayed a prayer basically as fire insurance, like, oh, I don't want to go to hell. Uh, what's that? If I like say those words, if I repeat the words that pastor says, I'm good to go. Okay, 
uh, wait, what do I need to believe? Jesus died and rose again and forgave. Okay, cool, I believe that. Awesome, see you later. And then maybe they'll come to church on Christmas and Easter. That's not truly believing. That's like believing in the plane, but you're not really getting on the plane. You've got to get on the plane. You've got to put your faith in Jesus. So here's what Jesus says again. He says, you'll know them by their fruits. He said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, a good tree bears bad, or good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. These are kind of scary verses, again, for Christians, okay? Track with me, track with me, track with me. Faith equals action. So Jesus says, you'll know those who have faith by their fruits. Now, some people might think, well, I know people who do good things. I know people who are not Christians and they do good things. Here's the deal. God says that any human effort be without Christ, without God, is not actually good. It might be good in our own humanistic eyes, but without God backing it and behind it, it doesn't matter how many charities someone um, donates to, it doesn't matter how many old ladies someone helps cross the street, in God's eyes, it's nothing without Christ. And we can even believe this because um, Paul talks about um, us as Christians coming to God and being like, God, God, like, look at all these good things I did. And God's basically like, without me, your works are like filthy rags. It's just a pile of garbage. And that's not because God wants to insult you. I don't want you to leave here and be like, man, I shouldn't do anything. It's pointless. It's worthless. God is trying to get you to desperately understand that you need him. You need to rely on him. You need to depend on him. I can't teach a message that'll be good. I can sound good. I can crack some jokes and make you laugh. I can maybe say things persuasively, but if the Holy Spirit is not behind it, it's garbage. We can lead worship, we can make videos, we can go out and, and just try to be the best good Christian people we can, but if God is not behind it, if it's coming from a place of pride or a place from wanting people to notice us, in God's eyes, it, it's, it's nothing. But we do good works out of love. See, here's the thing. For me, I do good things for my wife. It was our anniversary. I bought her a grill because she loves to grill. She loves it. I don't know why. I thought, you know, I'm the guy, so I should grill. And one day she's like, I want to try it. And I was like, all right, yeah, whatever, babe. Like, here you go. Here's a spatula. See what you can do. And she, like, grilled the heck out of that food. And since then, she loves it. And now she's like, I want to grill. And I'm like, but okay, I guess I'll just go wash the dishes and put on an apron. Um, and we, we switched. No, I'm just kidding. Um, she looks so cute in an apron. Um, I don't, though. I look creepy. Um, anyway, anyway, for my wife, I do things for her, but it's not because it's like, oh my gosh, I don't know if she's still going to love me. Like if every day I was like, I don't know if Brooklyn loves me. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I got to do good things for her. I got to go buy her stuff. I got to go get her stuff. No, it's, it's I'm secure in my relationship with Brooklyn. I know she loves me. I know I love her, and I have faith in our relationship. Every day that I wake up, and I stay in our home, and I go to work, and I provide money for my wife, and she goes to work, and she provides money for us too. She works too. Um, every day that I come home to her, and I hang out with her, it's like I'm investing faith in that relationship. I have faith that this is the marriage that God has for me, and so I'm living with her, and I'm dwelling with her, and I'm spending time with her, and, and it's, it's the same thing. I do things because I love her. 
It's not because I'm trying to earn her love. It's because I love her and I know she loves me. So I do things out of the, the flow of love of my heart. That's what God is looking for you. That's what God is looking for you. Now, here's the thing. If you're wondering, am I a fruit tree? If you put your faith in Jesus, you're a fruit tree. Done. <laughs> Sealed. Like, understand, if you put your faith in Jesus, you are a tree that will bear good fruit because you have his Holy Spirit inside you. Jesus makes the distinction. He's saying, he's not saying like, now some of you guys are fruit trees, and if you don't try hard enough and bear enough fruit, I'm gonna cut off your branches and throw them in the fire. Ha ha ha. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, he's making a distinction. He's saying there's fruit trees, and then there's thorn bushes and bramble bushes. Do people go and gather figs from those? Do those produce fruit? Like, have you ever walked up to a cactus or a thorn bush and seen an apple growing out of it? No, that, that's weird, because it's not a fruit tree. It's not a fruit tree. Jesus is making a distinction between people who have faith in him and people who don't. So I just want to clear that up. If you believe in Jesus, you are a fruit tree. Now, what if you don't have enough fruit, okay? That seems to be what the verse could be implying. I believe, and I really thought about this and prayed about this over the weekend and, and read a lot of different things. I don't believe Jesus is saying like, hey, if you're a fruit tree, like you better keep producing fruit all the time and just strive and struggle to be a good Christian or else you might turn into a thorn bush and then I'll burn you up in hell. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's just making a distinction between here are the people with faith, they're the fruit trees, and here are the people without faith, they're not. So if you're a fruit tree and if you're here and you believe in Jesus and you put your faith in Jesus, yes, you're a fruit tree. The question is, what if you don't have enough faith? Or what if you don't have enough fruit? What if you're backslidden? Some of you guys very well, are very well here might be backslidden. You might be struggling with your faith, doubting. Maybe you're sinning and you just don't want to give up that sin. Maybe you're in rebellion. If I walk up to a fruit tree, an apple tree, and it's got just so much fruit on it, it's got apples and oranges and bananas, and you're like, how is that even possible that it's growing all those different types of fruit on one tree? You're like, dang, that's a fruit tree, homie. That's a, that's a fruit tree. You know it's a fruit tree. But then if you walk over to like a scrawny, like kind of dried up, like malnourished apple tree, and it's just got like three little like mangy apples hanging off of it, what do you call that? A fruit tree. It's still a fruit tree. So be secure in your faith. But no, if you're that backslidden, that backslidden guy or backslidden girl, you don't want to be that fruit tree that just has a few fruits on it. Because that fruit lasts. The fruit of the Spirit lasts. Those, the good things you did for the Lord, the moments of joy, the moments of peace, the moments where you were patient with people out of the goodness of your heart for Jesus, the moments you respected your parents, the moments you went to camp and just worshiped your heart out for the Lord and just left it all out on the table for the Lord, that's fruit that grew on your tree, and it's, it's still there. But if you're backslidden, your, your tree is drying and, and you're not going to be producing fruit. And that's not a good place for a Christian to be. You're basically a person with a saved soul and a wasted life. And God is calling you to bear fruit. Not because you're trying to make him happy and like, oh, I've got to earn my salvation. But because that's what a healthy love relationship looks like. And isn't that what you want? Let me challenge you today. Isn't that what you want? A healthy love relationship with Jesus? See, I think here's the problem. We don't understand and we often forget the weight of sin. The weight of sin dragging us down. In, in your generation, in your generation, there are many 
who wear sin like a badge of honor, especially in the church. And I'm just being real with you. Many times what I've seen is young people at church putting on their best Jesus face, but then when they go out, they're like, man, being a Christian, it's such a narrow road. There's so many restrictions. There's so many things I can and can't do. It's so frustrating. I've just got to go out and sin a little bit. And then you go out and you do something you're not supposed to do. You go out and you sin. And there's just this feeling where it's like, oh, 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 oh man, I'm going to show people that I'm not that sheltered little Christian. And a lot of times what I've seen is on a little scale and a big scale. People's sin ends up being what's Instagrammed and Facebooked and Snapchatted around because it's almost worn as this badge of honor. Look what I did. You thought I was this weak little namby-pamby Christian kid, but look, I'm real. I'm a real person. I, I live in the real world too. That's the feeling I see all the time is when we live in Christianity, a lot of times we feel sheltered and we look out and we think that's the real world. And when we do something that's worthy of the real world, we can almost wear it like that badge of honor, especially to our friends who are non-Christians or our Christian friends who are also backslidden and struggling. Guys, listen, sin is not a badge of honor. It's a poisonous snake. A lot of times we treat sin like we're walking in the garden and we scrape our leg on a little prickly thorn bush and we're bleeding and we go, oh, that's too bad. Oh, well, it'll get better. I'll just apply a little pressure. It'll heal. That's how we treat sin. We treat sin as like, it's no big deal. I'm just going through a phase. This struggle is just a normal part of growing up with people my age. It's just something I've got to get through. One day God will perfect me. He's still working on me. And yes, that's true. One day God will perfect you, and he's still working on you. But please listen. Remember, we need to be dependent, desperately dependent on Jesus. If you're walking in the garden and you get bit by a venomous, poisonous snake and it sinks its teeth into you and it starts pumping venom into you and you see your leg start to turn dark black, that is when a feeling of desperation comes upon you and you are like, I have got to get to someone with the cure. And if you knew there was a man up a hill, I don't care if it was the steepest hill, you would run up that hill as best you could with your snake wound because you were thinking, I could die at any second. I need the cure. Guys, sin is poison. It is absolutely poison. I don't care what level of sin it is. It's poison. And it's been designed specifically by the enemy to destroy you and kill you. And for a non-believer, it's designed to drag you into hell. And if you are a believer, it's designed to ruin your relationship with God. It's designed to give you the worst possible experience as a believer. We need to have that desperation so that the moment we give in to sin, the moment we fall, we are down on our knees begging God for help. Not begging God, please don't condemn me. Please don't send me to hell. We know we're saved. But dropping to our knees and begging God, Lord, don't let this sin destroy my life. Don't let this sin take the good things you've prepared for me. Don't let this sin come in the way of what you're trying to do in my life. Don't let this sin ruin me because it's so able to. That is why we need to go to the Lord for help. Another thing is we need to know the weight of salvation. 
When I, what I mean by that is we hear the gospel message so many times. I used to go to camps, and at the last camp, Jason Duff would get up on Friday night, and he'd teach the gospel message, or we'd be in high school, and we'd go in on Sunday. And back in the day when we went in on Sunday, when I was in high school group, it was communion Sunday, and almost every Sunday it was communion Sunday. Someone taught the message of Jesus on the cross, and I heard it so many times that it lost all weight to me. And I was just like, yeah, Jesus died for me. Awesome. Communion. It's the blood. Yeah, it's the bread. Yeah, I'm saved. Sweet. That's the way I acted. And I forgot about the weight of salvation, the weight of what Jesus actually did for me, his death on the cross, his beard getting ripped out of his face, the, the thorns and the crowns and the, and the whipping and the bleeding and the, the cross pressing into his back and the pieces of broken glass. I forgot about all of that. And, and I remember as a high school student struggling with sin and just just thinking with all these different sins I was dealing with, just pride and, and deception and lying, there are certain sins that I thought I, I couldn't get through life without. Like, these are necessary sins. I've just, I need these to survive as a high school student. Like, I can't just be perfect. And I remember I'd be tempted to sin, and I would think, like, I shouldn't do this. Like, this is wrong. And, and I remember I, I would think, but God's going to forgive me, so it's all right. And I would just go for it. I would just sin, and I'd mess up. And God convicted me in, the heart, in my heart and said, Aaron, when you do this, it's basically like you're walking up to Jesus on the cross and giving him a smack in the face and saying, I don't care what you did. I'm just going to take advantage of the benefits of it. And it's wrong. And I've been deeply convicted by this. And I want you to be deeply convicted because I love you. Guys, we are saved by dependence in Jesus Christ. We must understand the weight what does that verse mean when it says, there's some people, there's some people who will come before God and say, God, we did all these great things for you. We cast out demons and we prayed and we said all these things in your name. And Jesus is like, sorry, I don't know you. You have to notice in that verse, Jesus says, he starts talking about the false prophets. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. When he starts talking about the fruit tree. So who's he talking about? Brooklyn and I just watched this really interesting movie called um, Believe Me. Here, let me see if I can find a picture of it. It's called Believe Me. And the tagline is, it's only a sin if you get caught. So this is actually very interesting. It's a movie made by Christians, um, but it's actually marketed to non-Christians. So their target audience is like people who aren't Christians. So it's really interesting. Uh, I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, but like they totally like swear a little bit in it. Like not anything gnarly, but they've got a little bit of swearing in there because they wanted somebody who wasn't a Christian watching it to actually believe that these guys weren't Christians. Um, so Brooklyn and I were watching this movie and basically this guy over here is a college student and he wants to go um, to this really good college next year um, and he thinks he has a scholarship and he's planning, he has his whole life planned out. He's like, I'm going to finish school and then I'm going to go on a trip to Europe and travel around. He's got all this plan. Well, then he finds out that his scholarship doesn't exist anymore. He's been cut off, so he doesn't have any money to finish school. So he's really bummed out. Um, he ends up in church, and he's just going because his family goes. He's not actually a Christian. And he's sitting in church, and a missionary comes up on stage and says, hey, guys, like, we're trying to get to Africa to raise money for water and wells, and it's going to be amazing. Like, please donate and help us get there so we can reach people with Jesus. And so, you know, totally a good missionary thing. Well, he hears this, and he's thinking, like, wow, like, 
raising money. That's, I, I wish I could raise money. And he goes up and he talks to her and he says, hey, how much money have you guys raised? Like, how much more do you need? And she says, oh, we've raised like $10,000. And he goes, oh my goodness, like how many days have you been doing this? And she's like, oh, just two. Um, and he's like, whoa, like Christians really like to give money to stuff. So he ends up getting his three friends together and he says, guys, I've got this ingenious idea. Let's start a charity slash ministry. Um, and they're like, we're not Christians. And he's like, I know, but we can pretend we are and we'll raise money for Africa and for water um, and we'll do it all in the name of Jesus. And then we'll actually take some of that money for ourselves to help us all pay for college. And these guys end up like making millions. Their charity gets huge. They end up buying fancy suits and going on stage and they end up preaching the gospel because they get a manager and he's like, hey, if you guys are gonna like raise money, you've gotta preach. And they're like, what do we have to preach? Preach the gospel. So they start studying the gospel and they start learn. It's funny, there's this scene where like, they're like, all right, let's pull out a diagram. Here's how Christians dress. Here's how Christians talk. Here, you know, they're like, Christians don't swear, but they love swearing. It's like, what are you talking about? They're always like, oh, dang, shoot. Like, oh, son of a Buddha. Like, they're all, so they come up with all these like, like fake Christian swear words. It's really stupid, it's really funny. But anyway, the whole point is they get on stage, they preach the gospel, they actually pray for people and heal people and like do all this crazy stuff. But in the end, none of them are saved because they never actually believed it for themselves. They never actually believed it in their heart. It was all to take advantage of other people. And here's the application. There might be somebody here, and maybe you come and maybe you've, you've sat here in this church every Sunday. Maybe you've gone street witnessing with us and maybe you've talked to people about Jesus because we were doing it as a group. Maybe you've gone to camp and you've raised your hands in worship because everyone else was doing it. Maybe you've gone to home fellowship and maybe when I pointed to you and said, hey, do you have anything to share? Maybe you actually said something because you're like, oh, this is awkward. Uh, yeah, God is good and he's been teaching me about trust lately. I trust him, yeah. Uh, maybe... Maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe you're here and you've done all those things, but maybe you don't really believe. And you're the only one who would know that. Maybe in your own heart, you're like, I like it here. I like the friendship. I like the fellowship. I like the food. But I don't really believe Jesus is who he says he is. I don't really believe he's the Lord of my life. I don't really believe in him. I don't put my faith in him. Maybe you've never actually confessed your sin to God. Maybe you've never said, God, I'm a sinner. Here's my sins. Maybe you've never actually admitted that you can't do it alone. Maybe you even think that if there's any chance that you're going to have an afterlife, maybe you're thinking it's because of the good things you do here. I want you to know, because I love you desperately, that is not true. Our salvation comes through Christ and faith in him alone. And it's so simple to put your faith in Jesus it takes a step of faith, but it's simply just looking at him and saying, you are the forgiver, you're the redeemer, you're God. And, and it's the most basic language I can think. It's just saying, God, this, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. Here's my sin. Please take it. God, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you're the Savior. I believe you're the one who saves. Please save me. Please help me. I want to walk with you. And that is, that is what it takes. That's the faith. That's the faith in Jesus. That's the simple faith. There's a verse that says in 1 John 2, 19, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. It's saying there's gonna be people who waste their entire lives and everything they do one day is gonna be before God and it's gonna burn up and there's gonna be nothing behind because they didn't do anything for Jesus. But it says they'll be saved 
They'll be saved, but they'll have nothing to show for it. And there's going to be people who barely escape the fires of hell, people who barely get in there. And God's pulling them in, and the flames are looking after them. That's not the kind of life I want to live. The thief on the cross gave his life to Jesus right before he died, this, this thief who was crucified with Jesus. And he says at the last minute before he dies, Lord, I believe. And Jesus says, you're going to be with me in paradise. That man had a saved soul, but he had a wasted life. My grandpa Ron, who I loved very much, lived a life of just drinking and smoking to the point where it was just unhealthy and killing him. A life of rejecting the gospel. People would try to tell him about Jesus, and he would say, I don't need that. I don't need that. He thought he could do it on his own. One day, he fell, got brought into the doctor's office, and they looked at him, and they realized, your years of just living have basically killed you. You're dying on the inside. You're going to die very soon. And at the last minute, he called a pastor into the room and gave his life to Jesus. And I'm so happy that I'm going to see him in heaven. But I look and I just think, what could have been if he would have followed Jesus? My grandpa had a saved soul, but a wasted life. And if you're in the ocean and you're sinking, the only thing that can save you is something that floats. It's the life preserver. And if there's a life preserver on the boat and you're looking at the boat and there's the one thing that can save you is the life preserver. If you're relying on anything else, if you're putting your faith in anything else, you might as well be saying, toss me the anvil. Throw me the anvil. You know, like those big blacksmith anvils that they use in Looney Tunes. It's just going to drag you down to the bottom. Nothing else can save you. Our life needs to be spent desperately clinging to the life preserver. So I realize I'm running out of time and I need to wrap this up. Jesus talks about a narrow way. In a narrow gate. The wide gate, Jesus says there's a wide gate, there's a wide path. You can go on it if you want. What does the wide path look like? Being a good person. I can save myself by being a good person. You can join other religions. There's so many to choose from with so many different ways that you can live that are much more freeing as what you can do than what Jesus says. You can, some people say you can become a god. You can become a god. If you live right, you can become a god. Some people say you can even have your own planet, and then you'll be the god of that planet. Some people just say, nothing matters. Live as if nothing matters. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Just do what you think is right, respect other people, and just live your life. It doesn't matter. That's what some people think. Some people say, some people say do what feels right. Some people say, it's sex. It's drugs. And some people say it's ambition, as in, hey, if you want to live a good life, here's what you do. You work hard. You do your best. You achieve. You go to the college. You get the job. You climb to the top to the point where you're recognized and accepted and to the point where you have power and you have, and that is what will fulfill you. But it's just saying, throw me the anvil. It will lead to sinking. It's a literal highway to hell. What Jesus says is take the narrow gate, take the narrow door. What does that look like? It's very simple. It's very narrow. It's believe in Jesus, depend on Jesus, follow Jesus. It's very Jesus-centric. It's very Jesus-centered. It's Jesus. Believe, depend, follow, and watch what he does with your life. If you knew that there was a path if you had friends, just very simply, if you were walking and your friends were like, let's go on that path, and you knew that path led to a cliff, 
And there was a more difficult path, a path that was longer, a path that was harder, but that path led to not dying and actually led to something really cool. Wouldn't you say to your friends, hey, don't go on that path. Please, please don't go on the path. You'll die. It's bad. There's a hole. You'll fall in it. Don't do it. You would desperately want your friends not to go. And, and I, listen, I'm, I'm preaching this because we all need to hear it. I don't care how long you've been in the church. Don't take that broad path. Don't lose your faith. Keep your faith in Jesus. It's what's keeping you afloat. And there's, the problem is there's many people who are saved, and there's many people who put their trust in Jesus, and they believe, but that's all they do. Now listen, I'm gonna move on from something. I'm gonna move on from salvation. We've talked a little bit about salvation. How do we know we're saved? It's simple faith in Jesus. So get that out of your mind. Nothing I'm talking about right now affects salvation, okay? Please keep that in mind. This is honestly, this is my conclusion, and it's very important. There are many people who, who they say they believe in Jesus, and they do. They believe in Jesus, and they're saved, but that's all they do. They don't live for the gospel. And for someone like that, what I would say is don't just sit in the doorway of salvation. Because let me like give you a physical example. If I'm over here, and this is life without Jesus, this is hell, this is death, and this out here is life with Jesus, and I get saved, and someone says, hey, all right, now time to follow Jesus, and I'm like, no, this is good, right here, I like this, this is nice, I'm comfortable with this, I can look out, and I can see what God is doing, and then back here, I can look out and see what's going on in the world, and I like it here, I'm saved, thank you, Jesus, for the salvation. Guys, if you're here, and if you're in this place, if you're not actually following Jesus, Greg Laurie says there are many, there are, like he says, not every believer is a disciple. There's many believers, but there's not as many disciples. A believer is what saves you, but Jesus never called people to just be Christians. The word Christian is used like a couple times in the Bible. The word disciple is used hundreds of times. Jesus is calling followers, and here's the danger of being in the door. If you're in the door, then when you get tempted and when the world calls and the world is attractive, it's really easy to take a step back in here and enjoy the world for a minute. And then when things get too hot, you come out here and you ask for forgiveness. And then when a camp comes up or something spiritual, it's really easy to kind of take a few steps out. And then when camp is over, oh, I'm going back in the door where it's safe and where the world is right here and familiar. And when God is right here and he's familiar, and I just want you to know that's not how we should be living our life as followers of Jesus. God has called us to follow him on that narrow road. He has called us to be followers. If you were on a sports team, how many of you guys are on sports teams? Yes, okay. If you are passionate about that sport, if you actually care, you don't look at your coach as somebody who is a guy who makes good suggestions. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good one, coach. Yeah, I might do that, yeah. No, if you really care about that sport, you're like, I'm gonna do what that coach says because I wanna win and I wanna do good and I wanna succeed. Jesus is our life coach. He's our master. He's not a guy who just has good suggestions. We are not to just look at what Jesus says and go, love your enemy? Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, we're called to actually do what Jesus says. Jesus wants to be Lord of your life. Now, wrapping this up, I promise. I'm just going to read this. I, I wrote this out, um, and I just want to read it to you word for word, so just, just dial in and listen. Got the narrow gate, right? People view the narrow gate and the path as living life in a long line to a Disneyland ride. You get that? 
as Christians, sometimes we can live our life as in we're in a long line to a Disneyland ride, and it's miserable, and it's like, oh, I'm saved. I know heaven's really far away, and now I got to be in this line, and I got to be good, and I'm not free to do what I want. I got to do what God wants, and I'm stuck in this line. It's miserable to us in our, that mindset, but at least it will pay off one day. At least one day we'll be in heaven, I hope. Many people think of their faith as a burden that keeps them from experiencing happiness on earth because they can't do what they want to do and they only can do what God wants them to do. They're giving up pleasure now in exchange for a life of far off promise from happiness later in heaven. But in truth, the gate is narrow, yes, but it opens to something wide. The narrow door opens to a world wider than you have ever imagined. Getting through the gate is narrow. It's a tight squeeze. You must choose definitively, once and for all, to stop worshiping self and worship Jesus. You choose to forsake all other beliefs and believe in Christ alone. You must choose to follow the commands and teachings of Jesus above all else and especially above human common sense and popular opinion. You must choose to abandon sin and pursue righteousness. That is a tight, uncomfortable, painful, at times, gate to squeeze through because dying to self is always painful. But that is not the end of the story because once you make that choice to take the gate and truly follow Jesus, your whole world opens up to be lived in the light of Christ. Suddenly, opportunities to love people are everywhere. Suddenly, doors to serve and bring glory to God open to you daily. Suddenly, through acts of sacrificial love, big and small, you are able to fulfill what you were created to do, and through the good times and the sad times, you will have joy because your life is no longer tossed aimlessly in a storm, but anchored to the hope you have in Jesus. In short, it's not a long line of misery until you get to heaven. It's a fast pass to start riding the ride that you will be riding for eternity right now. It's not getting benched until one day the coach needs you. It's getting put into the game right now with Michael Jordan level skills. <laughs> dated, dated analogy. Change your way of thinking. The kingdom of heaven started when Jesus stepped onto this earth and it's going to continue forever. We get to be in the ground floor to help build this kingdom. The gate is narrow, but what it opens up to is a world wider than anything you could imagine. Take the gate, take the path, and follow it to wherever it leads. You won't be sorry. A good friend of mine passed away recently. He was a pastor. His name was Jeff. He was a good friend of mine. I thought of him as an uncle because he was really close to my father. Some of you guys know his son, Titus Stewart. And Pastor Jeff loved Jesus. And as I'm on his Facebook feed and I'm looking through at all these things that people are saying about him, the things they're saying is, this is a guy who pointed me to Jesus. This is a guy who always loved Jesus. This is a guy who showed others about Jesus. This is the guy who had the love of Jesus in his heart. I'm so happy for Jeff because he lived for the kingdom. He was a human just like us. He was just a man, but he had a faith 
and someone who wasn't just a man. He had a faith in Jesus, and that faith led him to live for the kingdom. And now he's there. Guys, the kingdom of heaven isn't just a place you go when you die. It's also right now. Yes, one day we will go there when we die. It'll be the ultimate realization, and we'll see the kingdom of all its glory. But for right now, we're here on earth, and God has said, hey, it's here. Wherever I am, wherever Jesus is, that's where the kingdom is, and you're his citizens. You're his people. And how you live, how, how you live, does it reflect that you live for this kingdom, for the world, or do you live for his kingdom? And if you can do that, how do I do that? How do I do that? You simply love Jesus. You follow him. You do what he says in his word. You pay attention to what he says, and you ask his Holy Spirit to show you the way, and he will. Guys, being a Christian seems so narrow sometimes. As a Christian kid, I felt like it's just, it's just what I can't do. It's just a list of don'ts, can'ts. But it's so much more than that. That's, that's just that's the bottom of the list. Being a follower of Jesus, it's a narrow door that opens up to a, just it, your whole world changes. When you live for Jesus, when you love others, when you see people not as obstacles, but as children of God who need love. When you see ambition as not, I've got to just do whatever I can to earn my place, but I've got to do everything I can to bring glory to God. When you truly realize that everything you do, from raising your hand in church, to going home and washing those dishes for your mom, to giving your dad a hug and saying, I appreciate you, to praying with your little brothers and sisters, putting down the video game controller for five minutes to go do something nice for someone else in your home just out of the goodness of your heart. That's living for the kingdom. That's storing up treasures in heaven. And guys, seriously, when you view the world through the lens of love, it changes your entire outlook on the world and it stops becoming such a narrow squeeze and it opens up to a whole new world of amazing things that you get to do for Christ because you love him. And you, I promise you, if you take that path, I'm not saying you have to be perfect. You'll never be. I won't either. But if you take that path just simply, if you just start making some steps on that path, if you stop standing in that door and you take some steps out, some baby steps to follow Jesus, and you, it just every time he says, take a step, take a step, take a step, you listen, your whole world will never be the same. And you will be more fulfilled than you've ever felt in your entire life. Not because your life is perfect, not because the road isn't hard, not because you don't have trials, but because you are truly worshiping God, which is the main thing we were meant to do, the main thing we were created to do. And until we do that, we'll be empty. My prayer for you is that you'll find fulfillment walking on that path. Jesus, we love you so much. God, we need you desperately. We need to be desperately dependent on you for every sin, for every doubt, for every trial, for every struggle, for every depression, for every disappointment, for every discouragement. We need to be desperately dependent on you. Lord, for every victory, for every moment of power, for every moment of joy and peace and patience, for every great, happy, joyful day in our life. 
We need to be desperately dependent on you as the source of that joy. Help us, Lord, to treat you like that life preserver and cling to you, knowing that we do not need to fear as long as we cling to you, that nothing can separate those who are in your hand. Thank you, God, that your challenge to us to do good works is not a threat, but it's like a loving father trying to point his children to what is right. Help us, God, to do good, not because we're trying to escape the fires of hell, but because we've escaped the fires of hell, because we don't have to fear, because we love you and because you first love us. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to not stand in the doorway of salvation, but help us to walk on the path. And I pray for these students, you would help them even today, even this week, to see their faith as not something that restricts them, not something that keeps them from living the life that they want, not something that just keeps them from having fun. But God, I pray you would help them to find the fun in their faith. Help them to find the joy in their faith. I pray for these students, you would help them to find the immense joy and passion and power that comes from loving and serving and blessing the people around them. Help them to see that is where true fulfillment comes and give them opportunities to do that this week in their homes, in their schools, in their groups of friends. Lord, lead them to simple acts of obedience and fill them with a joy that they've never known before. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for the hope you give and the door, Lord, that leads to that hope, and we thank you, God. If there's anyone here with every eye closed just as the Spirit is with us, if there's anyone here who feels like maybe they haven't really put their faith in Christ, maybe they haven't really even stepped close to that door, they're outside of it. It's not that they're backslidden, it's not that they're a Christian who's just not bearing fruit right now, but they literally don't believe yet. Lord, I pray you'd stir their heart to believe. If there's anyone here who feels in their heart that they don't truly believe, but they want to, if you could just raise your hand really simply, and I'll pray for you right now. And if no one does, then that's awesome. Anybody at all? Anybody at all? Awesome. If there's anyone here who feels like maybe they've strayed from that path, maybe they're just standing in the doorway, maybe they're just living a safe, comfortable Christianity and not truly following at this moment. They're saved, but they want to follow with their whole hearts. If anyone here feels that way, if you could raise your hand, I'll pray for you. Awesome, awesome, great. Anybody at all? Anybody else? Good. Pray with me. Even if you didn't raise your hand, if you feel this in your heart, pray with me right now. Lord, help me to stop sitting in the door of salvation. I thank you for my salvation. Thank you for saving me. Help me to stop taking it for granted. Help me to rest in you and what you've done for me, but also, Jesus, help me to follow you with my whole heart. Help me to live a life that pleases you. Make my life a prayer to you. Make my life worship to you. Help me to follow you day by day on that path. Thank you for loving me, Jesus. Thank you for forgiving me, and help me to be your disciple, not just a believer, but a disciple.
Lord, thank you for all these kids. Thank you for their prayers. Thank you for their honesty. I pray you bless them today. Fill them with your spirit. We love you, Jesus, and we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Happy Sunday.